This episode is brought to you by Google Pixel, the official fan phone of the NBA and WNBA. The new Pixel 8 and Pixel 8 Pro are built different. How? Take the audio magic eraser tool that helps block out distracting crowd noise so your play-by-play commentary sounds crystal clear. The only phone engineered by Google brings out the audio you care about so your videos sound as crisp as they look. Learn more at googlestore.com forward slash pixel NBA. Audio magic eraser requires Google Photos app. May not work on all audio elements. March of 2020 revealed some cracks in our churches in regard to accessibility for those who were immunocompromised. It also showed how quickly things can be fixed when the problem impacts everyone. While these gaps were new to many of us, they weren't to those who have had to overcome accessibility hurdles all along. We just weren't listening to their voices. Today, you get a chance to listen, and I hope that you do. I'm Amy Fritz, and you're listening to the Untangled Faith Podcast, a podcast for anyone who has found themselves confused or disillusioned in their faith journey. If you want to hold on to your faith while untangling it from all that is not good or true, this is the place for you. I am thrilled to introduce my audience to you, a new friend that I met through doing this podcast. We've had a couple of conversations, but this is Jennifer G. Hey Cope. And she reached out to me, actually, Jennifer reached out to me initially and said, let's have a conversation about something that people aren't talking about enough. And it is the idea of disability in the church. And sometimes we have these conversations and we do not, and we talk about people instead of talking with people who are primarily impacted by this. So Jennifer, I am thrilled to have you here and this is going to be fun. So welcome. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. The first thing I had asked was, why is the idea, Jennifer, why is the idea of accessibility and combating ableism in our faith communities important to you specifically? I know this is a passion of yours. Yes. Well, so I have multiple disabilities. Um, For listeners who don't know me, I am autistic. I have ADHD. I have multiple infections. I'm a wheelchair user. Uh, I am currently training my own service dog to help with uh, sensory meltdowns and things like that. And I existed in the church for 15 years trying to keep up with the non-disabled norm, not realizing uh, that I was being hurt doing that. Mm. And it wasn't until one Sunday I saw three separate uh, couples come into the church who were each wheelchair users. And each one I I watched them come in and immediately I'm crying. Mm -hmm. And it was then that I realized, oh, I've been the only one Mm -hmm. for so long. And then I watched them and each one had their own struggles, hurdles. And if you're not a wheelchair user, you might not have recognized that. But I intimately knew what this particular person ran to the wheelchair user to say. I know the words that that woman would find me every Sunday and say very insensitive and mm-hmm. offensive things to me. And it was then that it became important because I realized, okay, this isn't just about me. Mm-hmm. And observing it from the outside, I could see that uh, you, just, you just feel the pain, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's outside of myself. And the more I started to speak up, the more I was dismissed, mm-hmm. the more I wasn't listened to. And, and it's not just like, I'm a random church goer. 
I've been a pillar in that church for 15 years. I was yeah. friends with the pastors. One of them gave me away at my wedding. Mm. Um, they saw me as someone who was respectable and discerning and wise. And I taught seminars. So there really was no reason for them to not listen to me. Uh, and so it occurred to me that not only do people just not understand, but they're also not set up in a position to actually listen to disabled people when we say we're being hurt or we say like we need this or we need that. Uh, and so the more I paid attention, the more I started listening to disabled people outside of the church yeah. and reading the Americans with Disabilities Act and the Restoration Act. Um I realized that I had been spiritually abused collectively by the church. I had been mm -hmm. psychologically abused. Um, and a lot of that was just due to ignorance. And then, of course, there's some pride in there. And, and uh, yeah, I'll stop there. <laughs> what stands out to me when you say that is how you had put up with a lot until you saw it impacting someone else. You could have for yourself, but for some reason you were you didn't. Did you just not want to be a squeaky wheel? As they say, you know, you wanted to be low maintenance. As yeah. a woman. Yeah. And as a disabled woman, I was socialized to believe that my, my needs didn't matter. And that was reinforced as I would tell the pastors, Hey, like you need a sermon to educate people, how to like talk to people with disabilities. Like, Oh, we don't really have the space for that. That's telling me that what, I'm dealing with is not important. And growing up undiagnosed autistic, I was constantly told you're not enough. You're worthless. And so it just kind of many disabled people, especially those of us who have been disabled our entire lives are repeatedly told by society, the church as well, that we don't matter mm. and that any needs that we have, that someone else accommodates, that's them doing us a favor. That's not society working as Christ, as God built the body to function. Yeah. Uh, and so there's terms like special needs, which puts the emphasis on our needs versus the failure of society. Mm -hmm. And so if anybody accommodates our needs, they're going above and beyond to mm -hmm. do something for us. So it's like the self-martyrdom, the saviorism, and if you are not brought up in a family with a person who understands this disability experience, you're going to be taught that way. And so much of that is just being a childhood abuse survivor, being a, a bullying survivor, being brought up autistic and nobody considering that that was even a possibility that I was just lazy or whatever. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's definitely socialized into us yeah. and beat into us. Um, that whatever scraps of our inheritance we get is more than we deserve. And you should be grateful. Is that the message? If people don't have that personal experience of having so many barriers to being able to be next to other people in worship, unfortunately, it takes having somebody you care about say something because you can, you can be best friends or sisters of, or a brother of somebody and use that as an excuse uh, because maybe, maybe that person that's close, that is close friends of yours that is dealing with a disability has never told you. Yes. <laughs> maybe it's not that it's so easy for them and that everything's great, 
but that they don't know if you would be open to hearing from somebody. What is a good starting point for a conversation? If people that are listening that say, we want our churches to be less terrible. We want our churches to be places. (laughs) Bob Smitana said that about uh, faith communities. Like maybe we need to be less awful. And we're, we're starting to see that there are things that are systemic things that have been wrong in our churches. And we just never even thought about access, accessibility, ableism happening. Where is a good starting point for that conversation? What kind of questions and and how to do this in a way that is not going to be harmful to the person that you really want to help? Whenever I would come into a church service on a Sunday morning, it was always about my health. It was always about healing my disability, which just told me that I wasn't capable enough. I wasn't competent enough to figure out how to heal myself. Um, and even though I was in a congregation where they were not teaching the proper uh, prosperity gospel, but there was an undercover prosperity gospel. Um, so you see a person with a disability and the first thing you notice might be their disability. And we don't want to look past that. Yeah, because disability touches our identity. For me, my disabilities touch every aspect of my identity. So you don't want to look past it. You want to look through it and see the human being that is there. Um, So as far as interacting with disabled people, they are minimum. Treat them like an image bearer. You would anybody else. (laughs) Uh, We make it more complicated than it needs to be. Yeah, yeah. Not that scary. And um, for so I am. an unreliable speaker means sometimes I can speak. Sometimes I am extremely verbal and sometimes I'm unable to speak. Yeah. And so I have a little experience um, in that department as far as people who are non-speaking. It may be scary to interact with someone like that, but really just sit with them. Yeah. Just talk to them, touch their hand. They've probably never been touched mm-hmm. on a Sunday morning because people are so scared. Um, just being with people and listening or sharing about your life. Don't try to like put your uh, ideas about our life on yeah. us. We have our own ideas about our own life. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then as far as churches, churches just need to be equipped with the theology of disability. Yeah. We need to have a theology of disability so that we know what God says about disability, what scripture says about disability, and then how that's going to translate to our practical theology, how we're going to treat people with disability. And and then I'd say the third thing is look up Amendment 504 of the Restoration Act, look up the Americans with Disabilities Act, and get compliant because church leaders lobbied against disability laws. I'm going to say that again. Church leaders in the 70s, 80s, and 90s lobbied against the Americans with Disabilities Act because they didn't want to comply. And so there is a religious exemption. Yeah. Churches do not have to be uh, accessible. But if we're looking at God's law, we ought to be more than the ADA. Yeah. Yeah. If the secular world is out loving disabled people than the church, there's a problem. And um, I call it the generational sin of partiality. We don't know that we are sinning in this way because it's been handed down from a few generations. And so pastors are ordained into this legacy of oppression of disabled people and are completely unaware of it. So treat people with disabilities like people. Yeah. Get a theology of disability and and get 
compliant with the laws and holding God's law above man's law. You know, you saying that about the ADA, I remember our church had a building program in the 80s. And I specifically remember them being so grateful that either whatever year it was they were building, that they were not going to be required to have an elevator. And there was a ramp. But if you want to go downstairs, you have to take the ramp outside and around to the downstairs fellowship hall where the fellowship happens. Oh my goodness. And those ramps are usually where the trash bins are because typically they only build ramps for the custodians to get the trash out. That's interesting. That communicates to us something else. Or they don't keep them free. Yeah. Besides that, right? Like other people put things there. They don't think about it. They, they think that it is going to be an exception Mm-hmm. to use that, which is really, really sad. And the message that says, well, there's not that many people. Is this the opposite of what we hear from Jesus when he talks about the shepherd that goes after the one? Uh, that one that can't make it is is precious. And all the others are safely in. All the others are comfortable. He doesn't wait for them to figure out a way to build their own ramp. He did not tell the sheep, well, you should be thankful that you are within a couple feet of me. He went and gently grabbed that sheep and said, I'm bringing you with me right into the middle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's where we should be. And what's hilarious, not haha funny, mm, funny yeah. is that we say, and that's a common thing. People say, oh, we don't have disabled people here. Or more Why? we don't want disabled people here. Yeah. But the ones who say, we don't have disabled people here. There's a reason for that. Yeah. There's this cycle of there's no accessibility. So disabled people go, don't come. You don't see people with disabilities. So you don't think that there's a need for accessibility. Mm-hmm. And so disabled people aren't in your church and you don't see them. And it's just this circle that you don't realize. It's not that we're not coming. It's that we can't. Is it true? Would you say there are some people that came and they have accessibility needs and they are afraid to say anything because their disability isn't something you can see? Absolutely. Absolutely. Invisible disabilities are real. I've been in that category before. And that's hard in its own way because you don't want to come off looking like you're lazy or whatever. uh, And it's harder. In fact, when I was a part of my former church, I was the only visibly disabled adult in the congregation for a long time. And I would have people who had chronic conditions, invisible disabilities, who would come and talk to me because they saw me and they knew that I would understand. And either they were too afraid to go talk to the pastors or the staff, or they had already and had been dismissed and not in like a, oh, we don't care, but they'd say something flippant. Like they really didn't get yeah. where the person was coming from. The disability demographic is the most diverse minority group. If you yeah. can think about all the different ways the body can yeah. um, have issues um, or be different or just be different. Yeah. Um, it's intense. Yeah. The second question I had written down was like, what voices and bodies are we missing by centering our church ministries? and services around a very specific type of body and a specific way of processing and interacting with the world. What are we missing? So much. (laughs) Yes. So much. Like I couldn't even, so if we just go by the 
statistics. Okay. Yeah. One in every six people has a disability. And then 15 to 20% of the world's population is neurodiverse, meaning dyslexia, dyspraxia, ADHD, ADD, autism. Uh, and keeping in mind that um, many people, especially women and people of color, don't get these neurodiverse diagnoses because mm -hmm. the, the studies are very biased. So you have all these people, like a huge percentage of the world's population that can't come to church. Yeah. There's so much you're missing and truly yeah. missing out on. And I'm, I'm going to, you can indulge my Bible nerdiness for a moment. Yes, I, I love the Bible anybody. nerdiness. Okay, good. I, I've been triggered by scripture for a long time. So if Bring anybody's listening, I'm going to do my best. So First uh, Corinthians 12. Uh, verses 22 through 24. So Paul is talking about the body. He's talking mm -hmm. about the, the body, the bride of Christ. And he's talking about how God has designed the body to work together. The eye mm -hmm. can't say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the foot, I don't need you. And he says, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which the more presentable parts do not require. But God so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lack it, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Now, check this out, where it says the parts of the body that seem to be weaker, the parts of the body that we think less honorable, that word, dokeo, in the Hebrew is often left out. Uh, I think it's left out in CSB. Um, but it's so it's imperative. The word means like reputed as, considered as, thought of as. It's not saying the parts of the body that are weaker yeah. are less honorable, but that we as a society, the society he was speaking to, but definitely translates to today as well, we consider these parts of the body weak and less honorable. And so there's an infantilization of these people and they get pushed out. And what is so cool about this passage is he's, Paul's talking about the body and he, he mentions the hand, the eye, the foot, the head, parts of the body we can see. In this passage, when he talks about the parts of the body that um, uh, are considered weak, considered less honorable, that are... Um, seem to be seem to us to be unpresentable. He's talking about organs. He's making the the, mm -hmm. the comparison to our vital organs, the heart, the lungs, the the kidneys. So if we think of our heart, our heart is a muscle, a strong muscle that pumps blood and oxygen throughout the body. Yeah. Now you take it out of its proper place, yeah, it's weak. It could be destroyed like that, but in its proper place at the center of the body. And you, you said this got me all excited. It's proper place at the center of the body, surrounded by muscles and bone and layers of skin. It is in a context where it can do its job efficiently. Mm -hmm. And he is making that comparison to the uh, people groups that are considered less honorable. Yeah. And that can can. That can be any people group, unhomed people, people of color in certain demographics. Um, but almost always there's very, very 
there's sometimes an exception to this rule, but it's, it's yeah. not often, but I, I feel pretty confident in saying almost always this will include disabled people. And so yeah. what he's saying, when we are missing wheelchair users, when we are missing people who are blind, when we are missing the autistic demographic, we're missing a heart. Yeah. We're, we're missing a lung. And I mean, we can, we can do with one lung, not well. Yeah. We can do with one kidney. Not, I mean, but if the other kidney goes out, what are you going to do? So what we're missing, we're missing vital organs. Yeah. Yeah. And this is what gets me like all fired up, Jennifer, is when you read that, here's what I hear you saying and the the word saying, sure, sure. People that hire that seem weaker and have disabilities, sure. They might need you, but guess what? You need them. And quite possibly your body of believers need them more than you realize. I'm getting chills. I'm, I'm chilled all over the place. Yeah. Now for a quick break. Not long ago, I made a decision that changed my life and my relationships. I started going to counseling and I'm so glad I did. If you've been considering getting started with counseling, faithful counseling makes it so easy to get started. I know you don't like talking on the phone, so it's good news that you can start the process without even picking up the phone to talk to someone. The Untangled Faith Podcast is brought to you by my listeners who support me on Patreon. It is also brought to you by Faithful Counseling. Faithful Counseling is a Christian counseling service with more than 3,000 licensed therapists across all 50 states with access by video or phone sessions or chat or text. There are therapists with expertise in trauma, depression, family conflicts, and more. You can ask for a new counselor at any time, and financial aid is available for those who qualify. Untangled Faith podcast listeners get 10% off their first month from our sponsor, Faithful Counseling. Go to faithfulcounseling.com slash untangled. Fill out a questionnaire, and you'll be matched with a counselor. That's faithfulcounseling.com slash untangled. Now back to the show. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, there's so much pride tearing the church apart today. Mm-hmm. And what I see is Yeshua cleansing his bride. And if Christians wake up, we're going to read a verse like this and be like, oh, that's part of the problem. Because yeah, yeah. we have these people in place that are all showy, great communicators and prideful. You know, if you have the 1%, right? The, the, the not to like single out a, a demographic, but if you have <laughs> white, non disabled, male pastors solely mm-hmm. leading the church, you're talking about a demographic that's at the very top of the human food chain Yeah. versus like, I mean, and I just want to ask this question to your listeners is your in, in your church, if you, if you're a church goer or in your pre- previous church, was the pulpit wheelchair accessible? Mm-hmm. Did you have an ASL interpreter? It's not that disabled people can't be leaders. It's that the church makes it nearly impossible for us to be to be leaders. Mm-hmm. And what the church needs, if we're looking at scripture, the last shall be first, the first shall be last. Our body ought to be led, have leaders in it who are considered weak, thought of as less honorable. Christ himself said, and this is a bit of a metaphor too, but I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick. Mm-hmm. So why are the healthy leading the churches? And not that they can't, not that they can't right. be a part of it, but if that's solely what's happening. Yeah, there's probably- a richness we're missing when yeah. all of the all of the leadership looks the same. Um, 
it's not just about providing opportunity for people. It's about the experience, the community for the entire body. It's a really, it's a really good challenge to those of us that have never had to think about it. I had mentioned in my email to you with some of these questions was just about like how the pandemic, when it started for some people, this was the first time they really thought about are our buildings healthy for people because the world required it for a certain moment, everything stopped for a moment. And we thought, oh how, what, what are we doing to make it harder for people? And, and there were some things that were done to address accessibility. And, and there were things that were just seen for the first time that many people have had to just see and deal with for so, so very long. So I would love to hear from you. What good did you see come out of us dealing with a pandemic? What, and what things do you think we still need to be leaning into? Yeah, the, the, start of the pandemic was extremely difficult for me because I mean, it was <laughs> difficult for everybody. <laughs> right? No, tell me about it. But it was difficult for a specific reason. Suddenly the entire world needed something that disabled people have been needing for centuries and not getting. And within a week, there was live stream services. Within a week, yeah. Zoom conversations. Uh, when the entire world needed it, it happened really fast. Yeah. Uh, so it was really difficult to see that. It was like, on one hand, yes, that's wonderful. But on the other hand, it's like, okay, so if I need it, well, you're not going to do it. But if non-disabled people need it, if important people mm-hmm. need it, it's going to happen real quick. So I'm still dealing with a lot of hurt. I think we need to hear that, Jennifer. I, I, that is so valid. In the easy slide into fatigue from it all. When you can physically yes. opt out of it and people were like, well, I'm done with that now. And, you know, Jennifer, you're like, I don't get to opt out of yeah, this. Yeah. Yeah. And so all that's in the past year, I mean, even before that, it's just been slowly going away. And there are two conferences that I wanted to attend. And I asked, hey, do you have like a, a streaming uh, option for someone like me, um, someone who might be homebound? or someone who's a wheelchair user for whom it's dangerous to fly Mm -hmm. because there's something like tens of thousands of wheelchairs a month get destroyed by Mm -hmm. airlines and they are not obligated to take any responsibility for it. So it's dangerous there. People have died because they can't take their wheelchair into the plane and then they destroy the wheelchair and they're sitting in these really hard uh, transport wheelchairs that the airlines have and if you have a spine issue, like a, a very prominent uh, disability activist died uh, a year before last because of that. So it's it's dangerous for us to fly even. So, yeah. and, and, you know, conferences, they're not offering live stream anymore because, well, I mean, the pandemic's over. I know. Um, talking about it like it's over too. You're like, well. Yeah. It's over for some people. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, not for me though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So the the zooming was great. I think I attended um, before we officially left our church. I attended more uh, community group Bible study in in like in 2020 than I had the previous two years. Wow, which was zero the previous two years because it was just wasn't safe for me to go at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and oh gosh, so the whole world got accessible real fast. Like there's curbside, uh, curbside service, a lot more places were doing delivery. So there was a lot of good that happened and really showed the world like we can do this if we want to. Yeah. Um, but the fact that it's all going away, it's not a surprise. And it's encouraging for me to hear you saying that these are things you thought of by and large disabled people. We were hoping that the pandemic would help the world kind of see the world that we live in. And what we saw mostly was people complaining about how hard Mm -hmm. it is, but not making the connection that like, Hey, like we have, we can help you. Like I'm a veteran at staying at home. (laughs) I I know how to do that. Let me help you. Like, but again, infantilization of disabled people were not listened to. And yeah, it was just, it was really, it was really the benefits did not outweigh the harm because we also had people like in Tennessee holding signs saying sacrifice the week because you want to get a haircut. Um, yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of, yeah. lot of complex feelings. Yeah. There are a lot of words that can never be unheard yeah. or unread that happened during, uh, after everybody got tired, like there was like this magical moment in beginning of March or the middle of March where everybody was sort of together. And then within a couple of weeks, that magical moment was over. And man, I, I, I really wish, and I hope that believers especially think through the things that they typed on social media and said without thinking because impact is important. Even if you didn't intend for it to harm somebody, you can, you can harm somebody without intending it. And it doesn't take the harm away by saying I meant well, but you're, you're meaning well, it is irrelevant to the fact Mm -hmm. that the words that we said, the words that I have to say, we, because I'm a part of the faith communities that said, well, you know what? It's just, these people that are impacted. It's only these ones. Very few people will be impacted if we don't do X, Y, Z. And I thought, this sounds like all of evolution that you, survival of the fittest, that so many people have rejected all along. And now it's become like a rallying cry of the white evangelical church. It was horrifying and is horrifying and I'm hearing this with a body that was supposed to be just fine. In it. And I can't even imagine, like those things were being said long before that, probably I never heard it. I didn't pay attention to it. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, it's that privilege that I have a tremendous amount of mercy for. Yeah. Um, I'm a white woman. I understand what privilege, privilege bias feels like and how grievous it is once you figure it out. I have a tremendous amount of mercy for that. It's the people who continue to deny a reality that doesn't affect them. Yeah. That is, that gets me angry. (laughs) Yeah. I've been trying to talk to my kids about that. Like, yes, I'm proud of you when you work hard. Yes. I'm so grateful, but I just, I want you to know we got real lucky we have, yeah. become, and, and you know what? I'm not afraid to use the word lucky, <laughs> right? I, I don't think I'm more blessed 
I think the fact that the person who decided how they were going to build buildings long time ago, the standard size of a person, the standard needs was thinking about my body. Yeah. They weren't thinking of someone. I, I got lucky. I see people being like you wanting to be the model church member, right? Like if I am the model church member, maybe I can make one ask. Whilst people like me don't have to be the model church member to make an ask, to make a whole bunch of asks. What are your thoughts on that? Um, the the thing that stands out to me is is the word lucky. Um, I heard a sermon on disability. It was a great sermon. Um, but he said something about um, better mm. that, um, you know, Maybe you were you were sick, but you're better now, and life is easier now, and it's it's better. And there's this assumption that life is better when you're not disabled. Mm-hmm. And again, in earthly standards, the way that our earth and our our society is set up, yeah, absolutely, yeah. it tricks us into thinking, oh, non-disabled life is better than yeah. disabled life. But if, again, we're looking at God's upside down kingdom, easier, yes. Better, absolutely not. Yeah, I would not trade the fellowship I have had with Yeshua for any able-bodiedness. Mm-hmm. And I do not say that lightly. I have had, I have chronic acute pain. I've been on the floor begging to die because I've been mm-hmm. in so much pain. I have a bacterial and brain infection that causes psychosis, meaning I lose agency and that is life-threatening. I have been in an incredible amount of pain and an incredible amount of grief. And yet God is with me in it. And I am fellowshipping with Christ in his his suffering. Mm. And I am being prepared, putting my treasures in heaven so that when I see Christ, I'm going to know him so much better. He's going to be so, how do I explain this? He's going to be so much more familiar having gone through what I've gone through Yeah, because of all of that fellowship with him. And I'm not saying that it's a given, Yeah, right? It's a choice you make. It's a chronic choice that you make. What you're saying sounds so familiar, resonates with what Lindsay Medford was saying. She wrote the book, My Body and Other Crumbling Empires, and how she realized that this, our capitalistic system demands a certain body, but her body being unable to participate in that, she also saw that as something she didn't ask for, but an unexpected gift in the end, like my body's telling me something good and I'm listening because I have to listen. So many people are not listening to their bodies because they're coping without doing so. Your body's and you're listening and there's something good that happens from, maybe it wasn't that frantic pace that was so good. Right. (laughs) Maybe that isn't better. Maybe that Mm -hmm. was never meant to be better, but the person that created the assembly line certainly thinks, that is better. And we're on this assembly line life. And it is hard to step back from the optimizing everything in a way that we feel like this is what optimal is. So 
hearing words like better is just really fascinating. And I think it's very culturally specific too. I, I think of other places in the world and every, other times of the world, if they were to hear us describe like the ideal situation of like somebody that's working like the 40 hour work week, uh, keeping the capitalism world that you know, wheels turning, they would be like, why would you want that? How, how is that? You're working more hours. You're pushing yourself very little, little value on being still and being rather than doing. There's a high value on production. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let me ask you this. I meant I alluded it to, to it earlier when I talked about impact and intent. Um, people mean well. Um, but they don't always know how their words or actions land or how they are harmful. So what are some real tangible examples of things that, especially in our faith communities, we shouldn't be saying or doing that would be just an easy thing. And this, no shame on anybody. When we know better, we do better. And we, we all, we're never going to know everything. And so part of this journey is like, what have I missed so that I can hopefully be 1% better and then another percent better. (laughs) Yeah. So I've mentioned before infantilization Mm -hmm. and we don't even know that we're doing it. Uh, So just checking that in your own heart. What, how do I, if there's a person, you know, you want to get to know, or you have a friend that's disabled and you just haven't connected, but you want to try, ask yourself how you, how you see them and then ask yourself why Mm -hmm. and what, what has informed that. So infantilization is huge. Like if we say it's something, believe us, mm-hmm. believe that we know what we're talking about. Um, another thing is, uh, I think I've, I've mentioned as well, focusing on the disability and healing the disability. Um, there are many people in the disability demographic who don't want to be healed. And for some, it's actually an insult to even mention that. And even besides that, when you talk to someone about their disability, you're asking for their private medical information. Yeah. It's like walking up to a married person and saying, hey, I see your ring. I noticed you're married. Tell me about your sex life. That's how intimate it can be for some people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and people just don't re- recognize that. People, and and in my experience, Christians especially think that if they can see it, they're entitled to ask. Yeah. And you're not. That's a good point. Cause I think some people are like, am I ignoring the elephant in the room by not mentioning the thing and not asking? Like I've known my friend now for, you know, a year mm-hmm. and I never once asked about, you know, her prosthetic or like, mm-hmm. is it, what is being a good friend in that situation? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'd say, the elephant in the room is only awkward if you've never seen an elephant before. Oh, that's um, a good one. That's a good one. Um, yeah. And if someone's comfortable with you, we'll talk about it. Yeah. Like we, it's never just the disability that we have to deal with. Yeah. It's society as well. And so if we feel comfortable enough with you, if you, if you've done that work of building the relationship and knowing what context the person feels most comfortable in, For me, I have extreme sensory sensitivity. So asking me a question on a Sunday morning or out in a, at the park or whatever, like having that kind of conversation with me is only going to hurt me, Mm -hmm. but coming into my home and getting into that context where I feel most able to, to function, um, that's a great start. Yeah. Just, just 
laying that foundation of friendship and trust because it is a vulnerable thing Mm -hmm. to talk about our disability and we never quite know how people are going to react. And when we start talking about our disability, it might be new information to you, the listener. It's not new information for us. What often happens to me is people ask me about my disability. And before I, I felt obligated, I felt like I had to tell people. It took a very long time for me to realize like, oh, they're not entitled to the information, but I would tell them. And then I would spend the rest of the conversation comforting them mm. um, because they're, they're grieving about my situation. And I'm like, no, it's okay. <laughs> uh, or people will then start to give me advice and then I have to navigate that. And the most audaciously arrogant thing you can do to a disabled person is to tell us what to do with our life. And when we say, no, actually, this is the truth. And you come back and say, no, no, no. Like correcting us about our own lives, even after we told you like, no, this is, yeah. this is what God has told me. I don't know what he's telling you about me, <laughs> but yeah. God is telling me that this is, this is where the boundary lines lie in beautiful places in Psalm 16 for me in my life. He's yeah. doing a thing with me. And this is what it looks like. And it may not look good to you, but it's, it's good to me and it's good to God. Yeah. Um, and the, have so, you tried X, Y, Z is a message that says, maybe you didn't do the right thing or maybe you didn't do it right. Or you didn't do enough. Yeah. Like there is a real big assumption that's being made there. And I wonder if people just are, they feel uncomfortable and they want to resolve that dissonance. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And they want you to give them permission. I, I bet it's a, a hard thing as a woman yeah. to not do the comfort, not to like let people off the hook all the time. Not that you want to be a jerk to people that mean that really are kind and and like just said something stupid and they shouldn't have. Yeah. But sometimes people don't need to be let off the hook. Sometimes they just need to feel a little awkwardness. Yeah, in in our society, we we are probably the most comfortable society known to man. Mm-hmm. And we are dependent on that comfort. Mm-hmm. And so we don't do well when there's a situation that seems unresolved to us or yeah. that seems uncomfortable. And even though people don't mean to be selfish, a lot of it is selfishness. You're uncomfortable. And so you're trying to solve the problem, but you don't see that it's not a problem for me. Did you read the post on Instagram from KJ Ramsey about going to, well, she's at somebody's house and somebody was ranting and raving about something about COVID precautions, different oh. things. And all of a sudden realized that she was dealing with some really big long COVID issues that had come up from her already having a lot of health issues beforehand. And then this person wanted to pray for her. Yeah. And she said, no, what a brave, right answer in that situation. Uh, people want to pray, but they don't want to make sure there's a ramp to the stage. Right. It's like the get out of jail card. It's the get out of doing something else card sometimes like I'll pray. Yes. And, but I would say, or maybe you would argue, I'm not asking for that. I'm asking for something else. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, (laughs) <laughs> Prayer is a big deal. Um, uh, Dr. Amy Kenny wrote, uh, it t- entitled her book, My Body is Not a Prayer Request. What a great title. Reason. 
Yeah. It's a huge deal in the disability demographic. And the, often people say, why would you ever refuse prayer? And I'll tell you, I will refuse prayer because when someone prays for a disabled person, there's immediately a power dynamic. There is immediately from even from a non-disabled person to a disabled person and neurotypical person to a neurodivergent person, there's already a power dynamic. Mm-hmm. And you add that non-disabled person praying for the disabled person, there's an additional power dynamic um, because that person is talking to God. And for me to refuse that is a social no-no. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, but people can use harmful, even abusive language in prayer and call it good. And no, it is not good. (laughs) You had mentioned one of the big things that happens is that treating, treating people that have disabilities, like infantizing them. Is that the word? Infantilizing. Yeah. Infantilizing them. Um, And you all, but you also mentioned earlier about, you know, grab their hand or whatever, like, Tell me about how to respect somebody's boundaries. Like if somebody's a hugger, yeah, just like you would with anybody else. This this is my thinking. Tell me if I'm right on on this or not. Like I would, I normally wouldn't just go hug a random person, but if I if but if I'm a hugger, I would first say, "Hey, I'm a hugger. Do you mind if I give you a hug?" Mm-hmm. Works the same way with somebody that might be sitting in a wheelchair. As long as you actually wait for us to answer. <laughs> yeah. Say, yeah. So don't just grab, grab the person. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cause you said grab our hand, but like say, Hey, can I, you know, that's assuming people like re- have a related friendship. Consent. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I think there's that like, was an assumption I made. <laughs> that's a good context to put it in though, to say that like, is the rest of you being that, you know, earned that sort of like friendship with a person would you have just grabbed somebody's anybody's hand and maybe you shouldn't just a stranger's yeah because <laughs> you don't know where they're yeah. at but like when you get to a point where you're just like hey I'm a I'm more of a like physical person do you mind if I just like yeah give you a squeeze and then that person can say yes or no is that feel right yeah yeah absolutely because you never know um I have a autoimmune condition that um, affects my skin mm-hmm. and I can get hives like that. Okay. My entire skin can feel like I have a sunburn in a second and mm-hmm. somebody comes up and hugs me. That's so much pain, not to mention, you know, the fibromyalgia pain, yeah. the other conditions pain. Um, and then my sensory input, like a hug can cause yeah. me to have a sensory meltdown in a second. Yeah. And if my point is to show Jennifer that I care about her, I don't mm-hmm. want to cause a sensory meltdown. <laughs> so if I know then that help that that hug does not communicate love and in friendship, we figure out another way to do that because yeah. me being mad says that's not a that, that it's just about me. Yeah, You're just wanting to. Yeah, and that if that doesn't seem like about, friendship. What's that? It doesn't seem like respect and friendship. No. You know, it seems like wanting myself to feel comfortable. What are the 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 love languages? Like, it's cool to, like, we want to express what our love languages are, but how do you receive love first? Yeah. And let me, like, respect that first before I, you know, force upon you how I show love. Yeah. And this is something uh, it, back to the prayer, but also works here as well, that more than anything, like, before prayer, before really 
any kind of service. And this is the thing um, when I started asking for for accessibility, when I started to talk about ableism, the number one response I got was, but we have done, nobody has received more care than you. Nobody has received more service from you. And, and we could pick apart how many ways that that statement is so wrong. Um, but it communicated that um, because they did service, I should be fine. I should be grateful. But we need to move past service. We need to move past service into friendship that mm-hmm. does justice. Disabled people don't need and, and can often like hurt more when like, here's, here's an act of service. A bunch of people came and helped you. And then mm-hmm. for the next year, I'm on my own again. I get withdrawals from that. Yeah. That's actually more painful than if people didn't come at all. Uh, and, but that's typically how we think we rally for disabled people instead of actually entered entering into people's lives and become friends so much so that you see the need for justice and yeah. you do justice because the interesting thing about the disability disability demographic is not only are we the most inclusive because we affect every demographic possible yeah. and you can be a part of our demographic at any point in your life, but we are also the demographic that is the most hindered from doing our own justice. Mm. Sometimes we can't even get to the table. There's no way we can even get in the room, let alone to the table in order to do justice. And so we need those conduits. We need those liaisons. We need people who know our lives so well mm-hmm. that they can do justice on our behalf without it being saviorism. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. Without it being saviorism. That's a good line. And I think you have to be in relationship with people to know if it is. And mm-hmm. I think I would suggest if you use the word loving on, you're doing the wrong thing. You're doing the wrong thing. <laughs> you're on the wrong track. We're just going to yep. love on Jennifer. Jennifer's like, I don't want to be loved on. Yeah. No, I want to have a community. Yeah. Yes. It's just yeah. become a charity project so quickly. And not the charity is bad, but the way when it's done in saviorism, it, yeah. I would go as far as to say that, that is abusive. Yeah. It's oppressive. It's a strong word, but I think it's important. Are there resources out there that people could like find and learn from people, uh, books, websites, where, where would you point people to that are like, okay, I want to learn some things. I want to, I want to be a good friend to my brothers and sisters in Christ and people that aren't, that don't know Jesus, because I want them to be able to know Jesus. And I don't want to make any barriers be in the way. What are some good resources out there? Yes. Okay. So there's a lot of resources. What are your favorites? And there, I'm, I'll give you my favorites. And I will also, um, there are a lot of resources by parents of children with disabilities. There's one, uh, Disability in the Gospel my, by Michael S. Beats that I'm in the middle of. But so far, like, I have no issues with it. Um, but there are a lot of books out there by non-disabled people where there's so much nuance lost that it's, mm-hmm. it's like, ah, there's some helpful things in here, but also there's some also like some not great things in here. Right. right. So we need to be cognizant of the resources. So I am, I am very, I, I only have like few resources that I give that I feel comfortable giving. Sure. Um, so Johnny and friends, if you don't know Johnny and friends ministry, get acquainted. 
Johnny Erickson taught is she's just paved the way for so many yes. of us. Um, and their ministry is huge. It has so many arms. I'm currently in their institute um, taking um, a course on a theology of disability. That's so great. Um, and they have a ministry that they partner for free with churches to become not accessible, inclusive. Mm-hmm. Different. You want to be inclusive. You want to be accepting, uh, not simply accessible. That's what mm-hmm. the world does. Yeah. Uh, we, as Christ followers, we want to be inclusive of all people. Uh, so Johnny and Friends is great. They have a, abundant resources. Uh, Disability in the Gospel my, by Michael S. Dietz. He does an amazing job getting into the Old Testament scriptures. The Old Testament is a very scary place for a disabled person to be reading. Uh, and yeah. He does a wonderful job breaking it down. Um, there's a children's book called Like Me uh, by Laura Whiffler. And that is amazing. Um, I did a sensitivity read for that book. I was so honored to do. Um, and there, Johnny and Friends also has another, there's a book series. Ah, God Made Me Unique, okay. I think. Uh, that's another one. And then I would highly recommend watching Crip Camp on Netflix. It takes you through the disability rights movement. Mm-hmm. And the late Judy Human, she just recently passed. I'm getting just thinking about it. Um, all the work that these people did just to get ramps. And that's the bare minimum. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then also, I think by the time this will air, my website will have launched. Um, I do sensitivity reads. I do, uh, I teach a theology of disability. Uh, I can do uh, ministry consults, things like that. I will have available and I'll be, uh, I'll launch it in August and I'll be building resources as I go. Um, and then a resource I have that would be, if you have people that are disabled in your, um, in your congregation or whatever, and they're just grieving, I wrote Elementary's Pathway to Joy, uh, which walks through the Psalms of Lament to uh, teach us how to lament and it gives space or journal space um, to lament. Um, so those are those are a few resources. That's so great. I'm looking forward to pointing people to your brand new launch website. And I am excited for you, Jennifer, as you are dipping your toes into doing more publicly. Um, using your words and your voice in a way that is really beautiful. And I'm, I'm really, really very much looking forward to it. What are you super passionate about right now? Yeah. What are you, what is, what is firing you up right now? What is firing me up right now is as I'm working on my website, I am fired up about helping Christians see, understand, and identify Christian ableism. Mm-hmm. I want Christians to understand that our Christian culture that we have created is based on ableism. The modern church has ableism built into its cornerstone. Our theology is built upon non-disabled interpretations of scripture. Mm-hmm. There are passages in scripture that I, I read commentaries sometimes and I'm like, whoa, like, this is so obvious to me, but to the scholar, yeah, has no idea. So that's what I'm I'm passionate about right now. I'm really, I'm I'm gobbling up whatever 
hermeneutics and theology and, and doxology and um, doctrine I can and uh, trying to look at it from the lens of an autistic and disabled yeah. woman and see that while there are so many people who are so much more highly educated than I, who has had the privilege of that education, I'm a three-time college dropout. I tried my hardest, but college <laughs> just wasn't built for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, yet, despite having no letters behind my name, God has given me a discernment and he has given me a perspective that he finds important. And I may not have a glittering, expensive, <laughs> hard-fought education, but it's been hard-fought in its own way. Yeah. I have had the fellowship with Christ and... um to borrow uh, my friend's term, God has been my special interest. Yeah. Uh, scripture and the original languages, I've been in it. I've been studying. Uh, and I'm just, I'm excited to get out there and help Christians see what they haven't been able to see for so long. I'm excited for you. I'm so grateful. I know we could have covered a whole bunch of other things and I actually would love to have you back on the podcast sometime to talk more deeply about theology. And I mean, there's a, there's a lot that could be covered. So I am so grateful for your time and thank you for reaching out to me. Thank you for working with my crazy schedule. (laughs) I know my listeners will be, will get, will, will get a lot out of this and have some things to talk about and some like real action things to move forward with, which makes me really excited. We're going to make the world less terrible. Yes. That's what we're going to do. One step at a time. We're going to make the world less terrible and less terrible. Maybe even shoot for good. I'd love to rise to Jennifer's challenge of not just having our faith communities be places that are less awful, but places that are good. And we all get to be a part of this. I want to express my gratitude one more time to Jennifer. She shared vulnerably about something that many of us haven't wanted to hear. And I would love for you to check out her brand new website and the resources she mentioned. You can find all of that in the show notes. The show notes can be found in your favorite podcast app or by going to untangledfaithpodcast.com slash episodes and clicking on this episode. As always, my hope is that you listen to these episodes and that this starts conversations that you can have with your friends in real life. So send this episode to your friends and continue this conversation. If you're on social media, I would love to keep this conversation going over on Twitter or Instagram or through the Facebook page. I'm Untangled Faith on Instagram and Facebook, and I'm Faith Untangled on Twitter. The Untangled Faith podcast is hosted and edited by me, Amy Fritz. This podcast is made possible by the support of my Patreon community. A special thanks to producers Michelle Pionic, Phil and Susan Perdue, Pam Forsyth, and Shelley Taylor. Thanks so much for listening. I'll see you next week. <laughs>